Computer, initialize Holosuite. Another episode of The Fire Caves, a Star Trek Deep Space Nine podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Perry. I'm your host, David. Tonight we're talking about Season 5, Episode 9, The Ascent. Before we continue, you can find us on Facebook, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, and X as The Fire Caves, a Star Trek Deep Space Nine podcast. That is correct. And as I say every single week, you should find us and follow us because we are great. We're awesome. We're a good time. And if you stay tuned, you'll find out that we have gifts for you. So (laughs) join us. Now, I know that I said once before that uh, the oscillating P would never return, but apparently I'm a big fat liar and the oscillating P is back. (laughs) I, uh, as you know, as if you've been following along at all, I am in the process of moving. Um, It's a very involved process, a lot that I've had to do. And once again, I uh, forgot to really review everything and make sure that I had what I needed and uh, don't have my camera right now. So uh, for those of you watching us live and for those of you who will watch us later, I do apologize. My bright, smiling face will be back next week for Rapture. But until then, just enjoy the oscillating pee. I'm I'm actually kind of like a low-key fan of it. I don't know why. Um, maybe <laughs> maybe that's yeah maybe that's why like so consciously I did it on purpose so that I could see this again because I thought it was cool um, <laughs> but um, but no I, I I promise it'll be back next week when we when we talk about next week's episode of course um, but yeah there that's done um, but yes we will um, be announcing a contest that we're going to do later on in this episode um, for some episodes to come so stay tuned for that and um, yeah we're going to get right into this one but um, there's a couple of things I wanted to do. Um, before we actually get into the episode, but before we do that, as always, I'd like to check in. So, David, how has your week been? Week's been fine. Um, yesterday, uh, I was over at my brother's place because my niece is about to turn six. Her birthday's on the 23rd, but of course, we celebrate a little early. And so, she's now a little six-year-old, effectively, uh, which is just crazy to think of. You know, she's, uh, one-third of the way through being a kid slash teenager, you know, not six out of 18 it's a third so it's like oh my gosh like significant portion of her life has passed by and she's not not a toddler anymore she's a little person now and cute as could be and yeah. uh, her little two-year-old sister loves to imitate her it's just fun to see it and um so that was fun that's why we didn't have the show yesterday we normally do it on saturdays today we're doing it on sunday uh, i was busy uh, and then War and Peace, so uh, I've about 200 pages left in the book, getting close to being finished. It is a hefty tome, but um, it's been a pleasurable read, uh, the second half in particular, because as I mentioned last week, um, Leo Tolstoy, as like the author slash narrator of the second half, is more there. He, he's like There are whole chapters of him just basically presenting his version of why wars are fought you know the book's called war and peace of course like why are wars fought 
why do historians tell history a certain way? You know, history is written by the the winners. You might you, you've heard said before, but his, his whole perspective is like, yeah, but that means they tell lies about why things happened, even though they don't understand all of the history around certain events. Um, so it's been a lot of fun to read that because I mean, I just finished reading Napoleon, as I've said before, and so reading this fictional account of historic events after having just read an historical account of these historical events has been a real pleasure. And I, I've been thinking of the analogy or uh, of the comparison in my mind. People who have listened to the show before will know I'm a fan of Ender's Game. And mm-hmm. there's the book Ender's Shadow, which is written from the perspective of the character Bean. So it's the retelling of Ender's Game, but from the point of view of a different character. And I love both of those books. In particular, you know, Ender's Shadow, because that's exactly what it is. It's a retelling of the story. And reading War and Peace has felt like a retelling of the Napoleon biography, but from a different perspective, at least on certain events. And so, like, the videos I watched while reading Napoleon uh, that talked about the history, uh, then reading War and Peace and having that version of events being told, it's it's been a real delight, which is something I didn't expect. You know, I think most people probably don't think to learn about the history of the Napoleon the Napoleonic Wars before reading War and Peace, or I imagine there are plenty of people who think that that's a good idea, and maybe they do do that, but I really do feel to really fully get the the real context and the full understanding behind War and Peace, you have to know the history of the time, and I'm so glad that I just finished reading Napoleon and, and read War and Peace, because it really makes it come alive. Um, so I'm happy to be almost done with it, because I've been spending about four weeks reading it, uh, from basically the end of, right after Thanksgiving is when I started reading it and it's almost Christmas now. Um, so I'll be done with that here in a few days. I'll then, I'm going to read some of Charles Dickens, uh, Christmas works, uh, you know, Christmas Carol, of course, being his famous one. I've already read that. I've read it the past two Christmases. I read a Christmas Carol and I have a book that has more of his Christmas stories. So I'm going to read some more of that instead right before Christmas. And then after Christmas, it's nemesis games and boom, We'll be reading Nemesis Games. You and I can then probably talk about it shortly thereafter. Looking forward to that. Do an After Dark episode. Yeah. So yeah. I wanted to, I was gonna. I was just thinking as you were telling me all these books that you were reading, and especially the 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 time frame that you're covering. Mm-hmm. And I really, especially when we get to that After Dark special that we're gonna do about Nemesis Games, I would. I think it'd be interesting to hear your take on that and. I, 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 and how you would compare that to something like War and Peace and what you read for uh, the movie Napoleon. And yeah. also, like you were saying, you know, the it's the classic phrase, you know, history is told by the victors. And um, that kind of revisionist history that we do see happen a lot. And it's not until, you know, decades, sometimes even centuries later that, you know, to the best of our ability, the truth does come out about those yeah. real events. Yes. And so mm-hmm. how you kind of would take something like the framework of the expanse, for example, yeah. I mean, there is a lot of world building, but they do base a lot of how, especially how they structure the politics and, mm-hmm. and uh, the, the uh, motivations of the characters. A lot of that stuff can be traced through several different characters throughout, uh, throughout history as well. Right. So yeah, I think when we, when we get there, you should definitely, um, you know, talk about that and how you've, uh, and maybe what you kind of realized through your 
reading of all that stuff, plus then the Expanse books and, and so forth. So, yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah I mean, for no other reason. That. Yeah, because, yeah, I mean, I, like, I love sci-fi books, and I do love sci-fi books that also come with their own kind of historical accounting of things and how they got to the world that they have created, you know? Right. So I, I've never really thought of doing that kind of comparison before until you brought up that you were reading these books. So, I mean, that would be interesting just for me, um, myself. So yeah, just, I would like to hear that when you, um, mm-hmm. when we get there. So don't right. forget. Yeah, don't forget. no, I'm glad you mentioned it now. Cause I'll, I'll definitely keep that in mind. And, um, cause there's, there's a lot to say about that, which I'll save for that episode. Um, because it is it is fascinating the the comparison and I I know exactly what to say and to talk about it a little bit more but yeah definitely save it for later um, yeah I imagine it'll be about two or three weeks before we ever get around to that so I'll be sure to lock it away yeah and uh, yeah can't wait well great so um, now switching gears a little bit I know that I you know I've already talked about a little bit about me moving and everything else that's kind of old news the thing I wanted to use a little bit of time to talk about was um, Star Trek Discovery, which I know that we did have a moment where I talked about it before and we kind of gave this, you know, kind of open forum, what were my thoughts on the show and, and, and so forth. And um, I've, I have spent some time in between the colossal amount of boxes I've moved over the past 48 hours. Um, I have watched, rewatched some of the episodes and I just, once again, I feel like it's a show that deserves way more credit than it has gotten. And I think that it will be another show that in time will bear out. And if you just go back and watch those episodes again, I do feel like, especially hardcore sci-fi and Star Trek fans, there's a lot in that show that you can really appreciate. To, in watching it again, I, I'm going to stand by my original statement of the thing that causes this show to suffer is the length of the seasons. If the seasons had doubled the episodes that it did, so basically more time to tell its story, I really think it would be an even stronger show than it is. The main uh-huh. issue is you, they just they have to make so many extraordinary leaps because they only have 10 episodes to tell right. a story. And so, you know, that's people. the main complaints I always saw about the show was how unrelatable the characters are. And it's like, it's not that they're unrelatable, it's that you get every single facet of their of their character in one episode or less, which considering I'm saying one episode or less, that's a lot. That's a lot of information to uh, assimilate about any character. Now, now realize they're doing that for like five. Mm -hmm. So it's just a lot of stuff to take in. It's a lot of things to forget. It's a lot of things to confuse. And by the time they've gone back and had a chance to kind of rehash some things, you either forgotten about it. You thought it was a part of another character or, any other number of things that have happened and it just doesn't make it doesn't make sense and then there's little things that they did try to like sprinkle through the various um seasons or episodes that they did have in the seasons and then all of a sudden here in season three season four there's just this overwhelming amount because they realize they haven't had the time to tell the story and so now they need to you know kind of do this kind of like story dump basically Mm -hmm. um but even with all of that I still feel like they put out some of the most imaginative uh, sci-fi that I've seen in a long time. And I am a lifelong sci-fi fan. I've watched them all. I have not been one of those thoroughly. I'm just only in the camp of Star Trek. I will never watch any of the other ones. I've watched 
Farscape, Babylon 5, both Battlestar Galacticas, the old and the new. I've watched all the Star Wars. I've watched The Mandalorian. I've, I, you name it, if it's a sci-fi show, I've seen it. Right. And even with that, there, there are things that they are doing that are truly, truly unique that have, that have not occurred in any other sci-fi franchise. Even in Star Trek, Discovery was doing things that no, the no other Trek show has done. So I really feel like that show got a bad rap. I am once again, I'm sad to see that it's, it's leaving that the final season is coming out in April and um, that's going to be it. Um, and I wish that the show got a, a better run. And I know that, you know, they say the possibilities are endless and who knows in, in three years, five years, 10 years, they may come back and kind of give us a catch up on some of these characters. I don't know, but actor availability being what it is and, you know, all that kind of stuff, <laughs> the chances of that are, are slim to nil. Right. Um, but I, I hope something does happen with these characters and with them talking about, you know, gearing up to do more movies, you know, the section 31 movie is now, um, in full go now that the SAG after strike is over. I hope some of the characters from discovery do make it into the movie. I don't see why they wouldn't considering the main character of the section 31 movie got her start in discovery. So I think that it would make sense to have some of them there. Um, and I hope that when they do future movies, they utilize these guys to an extent to kind of make the, the star Trek movie verse, not just the television verse, but the movie verse more inclusive because if you think about it on the on the on the movie side of things, there's only been two crews that have done movies. That's the original series crews and the next generation crews. No one else has a movie. And that's a lot considering that's, you know, Enterprise, Voyager, Deep Space Nine, uh, now Prodigy, now uh Discovery, all of these shows, and none of them have movies. Mm-hmm. It's crazy. So I hope that they kind of expand that and stop doing reboots. Stop giving J.J. <laughs> Abrams a pass on on Trek and making this and making us rewatch those all the time and and uh, give us the other crews in some stuff. Right. So now, yeah. So that's all I want to say on that point. Um, I, I again, I think <laughs> I think that we will we'll probably revisit the Discovery uh, argument again, especially once the uh, final season drops the promo for the final season is out as i told you guys last week go and check that out um i think that that will be um um again some some great sci-fi to watch the cgi on it that they've shown so far the ai component they've included in a lot of it looks really top notch i'm excited to see that um and i just want to see how they wrap up the show you know um i definitely feel like it's going to be a bittersweet ending because i feel like just like with uh enterprise enterprise finally found its footing towards the end of the third season and into the fourth season and then it was over Mm. so i feel like that's kind of what's happened here with discovery a little bit they finally kind of understood what they needed to be and got away from the necessary tie-ins to a lot of things that they had to obey because of when the the time period of the show that was probably their biggest misstep was trying to make a show that was about you know, this crew 10 years before our, our infamous, you know, Kirk, Spock and, and so forth. They always should have been forward leading instead of looking back. And yeah. um, now that they kind of step, they not kind of, but definitely have stepped out of that shadow. The show is better. The show is much better. They don't have to depend on anything anymore. They are their own thing. Right. And we're going to, we're going to be sad when it's over. I feel like, so we'll see. Gotcha. Okay. 
Um, <sighs> real quickly, I realized yeah. while you were talking, you were talking about the movies. I just quickly looked up the release date of First Contact in comparison to the show, uh, the the uh, Space Nine episodes. The Ascent res- original air date was November twenty fifth, nineteen ninety six. But the original air date of First Contact was November twenty second, nineteen ninety six. So I need to watch First Contact because not yet. You no? don't because I was going to say you didn't say anything to me. As I, I haven't surprised. said anything because there is a there is a moment we, we will get there. I promise. And I actually I, I I know we're coming up on it. I, right. I think it does happen in this season, and I think that's what it was. Is because they filmed season five in complete to completion and then they also went and did this movie so right the season was done filming and then we had the movie so then they were airing the episodes even though they were done with the with the season of course so yes right. there will come a moment within season five that you will watch the movie it is not yet and there's okay. a okay and trust me, there is a very, very distinct reason for it, and I can't tell you what it is until it happens, but you <laughs> you will know, because then I will say, okay, now you can watch the movie. And then when you watch the movie, instantly upon seeing the movie, I guarantee you it will make sense. Okay? I have a feeling I it has something to do with Worf's character, because like, it won't make sense where his character, like, why is he still on the station if he's going to be a part of the... TNG that, crew in some way. I don't know. That is a major. That is a major component of it. That is a major component of it. But yes, there's there's something else that needs to happen. So we we will get there. It is in this season, so don't worry. I will let you know, and um, I'll probably end up watching it with you because you know what? I think it's been probably fifteen, maybe even twenty years since I've watched that movie. So um, yeah, but we'll get there. Okay. We will get All there. Right. All right. All right. But we're not here to talk about any of those things. We are here to talk about Star Trek Deep Space Nine, The Ascent. And um, as always, I try to give a, something to describe the episode. Um, uh, what would we say here? Um, entertaining, <laughs> to say the least. You know, <laughs> yeah, um, sure. different. Di- you yeah. know, um, there were some comparisons of this episode to like, you know, the inspiration behind it. And it kind of clued me in on some things that I hadn't even seen before, but then it made a whole bunch of sense when I went back and looked at them. So we'll talk about that as well. Um, but do you want to give the recap for this one or do you want me to do it? I did it last week. Do you want to do it this week? Sure. So this episode, um, it does have an A and a B story. Uh, the A story being that, um, Quark has been, basically um, arrested for all intents and purposes. He's being charged and uh, Odo is going to personally escort him to the Starfleet uh, JAG office, basically to be uh, sentenced. And he is just so happy as he says in the episode, I've been waiting 10 years to see you get what's coming to you and I'm not going to miss it. So of course he is ready to take Quark in. They get on a runabout and they depart to this other, you know, their destination, which apparently is eight days away, um, by by runabout, which mm-hmm. I don't know what I eight days, gosh, just right, whatever. But right. whatever. So they're on the shuttle, and they're trying to find ways to pass the time. Odo is basically just reading and enjoying, you know, the silence or trying to, and he's also enjoying the the misery of Quark, who seems to be completely oblivious to what's wrong and what he's being charged with. And Odo is not telling him anything. Right. Um, as they're traveling, 
Quark's very sensitive Ferengi ears are picking up on every little sound, including Odo's smacking lips when uh, he's eating, which I thought was funny because even from what I could tell, Odo doesn't have any lips. I don't know what that is there, but I just didn't seem like he had any, but whatever. Mm-hmm. But there's this particular buzzing sound that he keeps hearing, which eventually they begin to investigate, and it reveal they look through a panel and they find a bomb has been placed on the shuttle. They try to beam the bomb off. Uh, the bomb explodes. They have to make an emergency landing on a <clears throat> L-class planet, they say, which is barely habitable. Mm-hmm. And then, though they survive the landing, everything on the shuttle apparently is destroyed, uh, both in combination because of the bomb and because of the terrible landing. Right. So they scrap together what supplies they can, including a uh, subspace transmitter and they are going to try to attempt to send a signal so they can be rescued but because of the atmosphere of the planet they've landed on the transmission is going to be exceedingly difficult so they have to get high up in elevation in order to get the signal out which means they have to climb this massive mountain which when they showed that image of the mountain i laughed yeah i I laughed i laughed the first time when i watched the episode i laughed Mm -hmm. the last time when i watched the episode because well, it's like, what is that? Mount McKinley? Like, what's <laughs> yeah, the equivalent? I think, yeah, I think on Wikipedia it says here that the uh, one they went to was Mount Whitney in California, which is the highest peak in the contiguous United States. So, high so, as it yeah. gets in America. So, we've got these two untrained aliens are going to have to climb this mountain peak with no equipment, with no food, with no anything and carrying heavy, bulky equipment in the hopes that they can reach a proper elevation to get off a signal. I was like, hey, y'all, y'all are going to die. <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> so they put together what equipment they can, which is like half of a Starfleet survival suit, some blankets, um, exactly two uh, rations, uh, mm. and, and set out. Everything on the planet is either poisonous or just inedible or whatever it is. They, this, there's nothing. And they're becoming weaker and weaker as they travel. But also, despite throughout all of this, they are bickering with each other. Their mutual hatred for one another is shining through. And they get to the point where their argument just causes them to completely break down. They end up fighting. They toss each other down part of the mountain, which leads to Odo breaking his leg because again odo is now uh, a solid a solid yeah so now quark little old diminutive ferengi quark has to carry the transmitter and odo dragging him up this mountain i'm like yeah y'all gonna die <laughs> in the freezing temperatures tries to make it eventually he gives up or and odo tells him to leave him um he goes on without odo for a while Odo tries to eventually follow, but then he also gives up. Ultimately, Quark does make it to a high enough elevation he can send off the signal, and they are beamed up by the Defiant, where it's Worf and Jadzia on the Defiant, and they save them just before they succumb to the elements and their injuries. But before they totally pass out, there's a nice little moment where they're in the darkened infirmary, and Quark's like... Hey, all those things I said to you back there, I meant every word of it. And he was like, and Odo's like, yeah, so did I. And they share a mutual love-hate laugh or whatever, and that's the end of their story. Right. 
Um, the B story is that we see the return of Jake and Nog. We get to get to catch up with them. So you know, Jake is now you know full on adult. I would say he's eighteen here, gonna move out on his own, have his own quarters and stuff. And he's picked quarters that are on the other side of the habitat ring, as far away from his father as he could possibly get. <laughs> He's looking forward to being on his own, and he's, you know, ready to strike out and be, you know, the man of the house, basically. Uh-huh. And at the same time, Nog has um, has come up through uh, the academy. He's still a cadet. He's still, I think it's, they think it was his sophomore year, I think is what the, we were saying. And so during the sophomore year of the academy training, they have field study, and he's chosen to do his field study on Deep Space Nine, basically getting to come home. And now he and Jake are going to be roommates. And now we get to see that these two individuals have kind of like, to a certain degree, swapped personalities. Because if you remember, early on, Jake was the very studious one. He was all about his schoolwork and, and getting things right and, and all that kind of stuff. And now he's he's the man of the house. and No one gets to tell him what to do. And he's right. sloppy and lazy. And all he wants to do is just kind of lounge around and play Dom Jot and write his stories. And he doesn't right. clean. He doesn't do anything. Whereas Nog is a trained, you know, Starfleet cadet. He's got a routine. He's up at 4 a.m. He works out. He cleans. He's got a schedule for his work and all these things. He's just he's just on it. He's he's yes. crisp. He's sharp. Yes. Yep. And so these two can go the, you know, right down that odd couple uh path. They start to butt heads a bit because Jake is too slovenly for the fastidious uh quirk. <laughs> This leads to them having an argument. Nog. They, no, yeah, Nog. Uh, <laughs> they move out. Uh, Nog goes and lives back with his father, and Jake tries to keep the um, unit uh, to the, himself. The, yeah, to himself. But his father eventually informs him that though the regulation, which you know, it may be questionable on this regulation, <laughs> that the quarters are too big for one person, one occupant. He's going to have to have a roommate. Which, of course, he then orders Cadet Nog to move back in. Right. Uh, now, before he orders him, of course, this leads to a little bit of a nice father-to-father moment between Rom and Cisco, and uh, Rom is also complaining about how different uh, his son is. And even to the point where while he was sleeping, Rom withdrew some of Nog's blood to test to see if he may potentially be a changeling. And yes. he's been carrying it around, hoping to see it change, which, of course, it doesn't do. Right. Yeah. So, yes, yeah. ultimately, to solve the problem, Cisco orders the two of them to live together. They have to come to an understanding, which they do. And obviously, their friendship is pretty solid enough, and they, they eventually figure it out. But, uh, yeah, that is essentially our episode for both our A and B story, and uh, we're going to get into the rest of it. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So, as always, David, I'd like to ask that very first question. As our first-time viewer here, what did you think of this episode? Yeah, this this episode is basically the story of the two odd couples. <laughs> uh, Odo and Cork and Nog and Jake. Um and uh, I think this is an episode, I'll just say it up front, this is an episode where you, you can kind of skip it in the sense of, like, there's no major change in anything that's going on. There's no, you know, big changeling conspiracy, no Romulan conspiracy, no, you know, Klingons doing this or that. You know, this is a relatively um, innocuous episode, which is fine. I'm not saying it's a bad thing. Yeah. Um, 
But uh, it's it's fun to see Quark and Odo alone together. I think for the first time, at least for any extended period of time like this. Yes. Um, they've certainly had their fun little tete-a-tetes. Uh, yeah. But this is the first real long-term, we got to depend on each other sort of situation. Um, it, it, it makes me mm-hmm. laugh a little bit because in so many scenarios when characters have to go off in one of the runabouts to go do a, a task... They'll send whoever they feel like sending. You know who who's going on the runabout on this mission. Whoever the plot calls for, and so who does the plot call for? Oh, just Odo escorting Quark, which is just enough for the two of them to have to depend on each other when things go bad. So it's fun to see yeah. the two of them work it out, as opposed to like Odo at one point is telling Quark, you know, if Dax or Worf or Cisco were here, they wouldn't give up. They'd keep pushing on. Don't you dare give up. <laughs> Um, he's in, you know, Cork is like, oh, they're not here. And, you know, it's the very point so of the it, episode is like, <laughs> so I was just going to say just real quick, uh, the, the behind the scenes on this is, uh, that Renee Abergemois and Armin Shimmerman, uh, Odo and Quark respectively, of course, um, had been pushing the writers and producers to give them an episode that did explore the animosity between these two characters. Also, right. for those who do not know, Armin Shimmerman and Renee are actually were really good friends. They had been yeah. friends for years, had worked together previously on projects. Oh, like that. really? So they're okay, actually, nice. yeah, in real life, they're really good friends. So I think that's another yeah. reason why they're work together on this show is is so good because they, they right. know each other and they can you know work well off of one each other uh, uh very well and right. um yeah yeah they said that even before the episode was written they had been campaigning to have some kind of story that would explain why these two characters were um you know, so antagonistic with each other. And there just mm-hmm. never really seemed to be an opportunity for it. Um, right. you know, our our main uh story um storyboard producer, whatever you want to call him, Iris Stephen Bear, he had uh wanted to do something with them, but they really couldn't figure out the the background of a story to put them together in this particular manner. So, you know, they'd been trying it and trying it. They just didn't know when it was going to work. And then when the opportunity arose, they just really kind of jumped on it. And this is why this episode happens here. Right. But yeah, uh, these two, are they they campaigned for it for a long time. And so I'm glad that we finally get to see it. And it's it's great. If you take away the backdrop and the reason, watching these two be you know, petty and bickering with each other and, and all that. And even finding out, you know, that Odo didn't even know why Quark was really being charged. He yeah. was just, he was needling him for information. That stuff right there is just, it's great. I loved that development for the two of these characters. And yeah, when he's like, if, if, if uh, Dax or Worf or Cisco were here, they wouldn't give up and he's like well they're not and it's just it's <laughs> such a great little scene and again yeah. highlighting the fact that not everybody is federation or starfleet or, or or any of that stuff and yeah so these are these are just these are normal people who are wow. stuck in these situations and um for all of the people who always imagine what they would do if they were ever, you know, stranded in Starfleet and whatever else, we all would think that we would rise to the occasion and whatever else. And ultimately, right. yes, Quark does, but I feel like he's way more relatable here because I think we would all just be panicking at first, oh, you know. Oh, gosh. Yeah. Yeah. Just for absolutely. Sure. You, someone tried to blow you up and then you crash land on a planet where everything is, you know, 
yeah. barely habitable and it's freezing and yeah, we would be miserable yeah. in those conditions. Yeah, hundred <laughs> percent. Yeah, what the the one thing this episode does really well, which is why it shines and and why and, and what it does is it's an episode about characters. We learn about the development of all four of our characters in this episode. Uh, Quark and Odo certainly get the majority of it, but Nog and Jake do as well. Uh, what do we learn about uh, Quark? We learn that what he's actually was actually happening, as he reveals to um, Odo, when it becomes clear that Odo does not know why uh, they're going. Why why has Quark been arrested and taken? Well, it turns out that the bomb was actually from the I think it's the Orion Syndicate. The Orion Syndicate, a very yes. prominent crime group. Exactly. In, in, in Trek. And Quark explains to Odo that, you know, if if he had been a member of the Orion Syndicate, which is what Odo was suspecting, he wouldn't have bombed, he wouldn't have been bombed. Like The, the, the members of the Orion Syndicate will, you know, kill themselves if they're captured. They're, um, they're not going to put up with any sort of nonsense. Oh, come on. Let's redo this. Yeah, they're definitely not going to put up with one of their members uh, snitching on them at all, you right. know. And this is not the first time that we've heard mention of the Orion Syndicate in in Trek at all. They uh-huh. come up, um, I wouldn't say a lot, but whenever they want to talk about kind of this elusive crime element at certain uh-huh. points, the Orions are kind of the first ones that get tossed around. We, right. uh, for a little bit of context back history here, we do see the Orion Syndicate in uh, Enterprise, and they right. have a, the Orion slave trade uh, with the Orion slave girls. We see the Orion oh. slave girls on um, on uh, the original series with Kirk, and oh. um, we actually get to see more of the Orion Syndicate later on in Deep Space Nine as well. Right. Um we will see the, and you, or you will see the Orions uh, again and their syndicate and their leaders in uh, Discovery as uh-huh. well. So, yeah, they come up quite a bit for um, as far as alien crime mafioso ish groups right. go. They uh-huh. do pop up. So, yeah, um, I think the Orions are interesting. I, I also think it's interesting that we barely even see the Orions, <laughs> yeah. um, but they keep getting referenced a lot. Right. So, that's fun. Yeah. Yeah, sorry I cut out there for a second, but what I was was trying to say was that Quark reveals that he's not a member, he's a witness, and that's why he's being called. And Odo is um is is basically escorting him to keep him safe, not to um you know keep him you know to jail him. He's going to be he tells you know he tells Odo, I can't wait for us to get off this planet just so you I can see your face when I get let free, because uh, I'm not a member. I am a witness, and then Odo kind of jabs at Quark some more, and it and, and says, "Well, you wish you could have been a member. Turns out, I bet that you tried all your scheming and your all your money grabbing. You were trying to buy your way in, but you never could do it. You you know, you are just a low lowly barkeep, and you never could get in. And so that's I think is that what triggers their fight where Odo breaks his leg. I think that's what does it right." Yes, um, that's what yeah. triggers it. Is they, you know, the real, you know, them talking about the fact that, you know, Quark is kind of this failed criminal, and even the Orions won't take him. And right. yeah, they start their pushing and shoving, which then leads to that awful tumble. Right, and um, that's the first. That, that's that's Odo's breaking his leg is is because he's a solid now, and so um, him having to deal with being a solid 
is you know something that he's been having to deal with this whole all season. Um, but back on the ship before they were crash they crash landed. Cork uh, trying to get Odo to you know do something with him. You know, want to play a card game. Uh, Odo refuses, and so Cork <laughs> steals the the pad that he was reading from, and it turns out he's been basically been reading a really sappy romance novel. He's not reading yeah. some sort of uh, you know prison transfer um, orders. You know, he's one reading those... something. One of those really dime store, <laughs> one of those dime store love novels. Oh and his man! And his excuse is, I need to get into the criminal mindset, and uh, yeah, and, and, uh, something about this book, criminal mindset. And Cork isn't buying it at all. Yeah, the only thing uh, criminal Jim- is that trashy stuff you're reading. <laughs> exactly. Oh. Yeah, uh, and he, he gives Odo a hard time for being attracted to Major Kira, but not, not being returned to him. So. um... Yeah, so he it's even a talks about little... the infamous another reference that we see appear in Trek a lot, but have yet to really see any production of is another novel called uh, Vulcan Love Slave. Oh, so, that's right. Um, yes, Vulcan Love Slave <laughs> is a is a term that again has popped up in Star Trek a few times. Uh, we know that it's a novel uh, of some some length. Uh, we obviously know that it involves a Vulcan being held as some kind of sexual uh, slave there, but we don't know any other details about it so um it's one of those things where like i'm sure fan fiction exists that is this thing but i would not look it up nor would i recommend anyone else look it up because i'm sure that it's going to be just as horrible as you can imagine there's no need to do anything else for it so yeah uh Yeah. yeah I don't want to do this particular kind of research. I just, I know it's a thing. That's all right. That's it. That's, that's all. I know it's a thing. Cause I know how people are, but I don't want to see it. If any of you know about it, anybody listening, don't, watching, whatever, if you know about anything. it, do not send it my way, please. I don't want to know. I just, yeah. for the context of the show, I know it's there. That's it. Done. Right. But yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, it's just so funny that Odo, our super serious constable, is reading something like that. Um, it, it's again, it's a character. It's an insight to his character. If we have an yeah. insight to Odo, we have an insight into Quark, and then with Jake and Nog, it's a smaller insight. You know, Jake is now an adult, moving out of his dad's place. Um, he's still that kind of teenagery type, where he's really not taking all all the responsibility that he should he's still living kind of a uh dissipated lifestyle in the sense that he's he's not i still feel for jake i still feel like again as someone who understands the 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 desire to be a writer and knowing how hard it would actually be in real life to to know that there's a character experiencing those struggles i get it uh but part of me wants to say to jake like i don't know bro is this is this writing career really working out do you need to find something else to do in the meantime um well that's the beauty the of well, that's the beauty of the twenty fourth century and, and being in Star Trek, you know. I mean, True. he's not he's not a struggling artist. He doesn't have to take other jobs to live and survive. You know, right. he's everything's provided for him where he's living, his food, his clothes, all of it. So he has the ability to kind of leisurely take his time with discovering his path to to writing. Whereas for us, contemporarily, of course, uh-huh. we couldn't do that. You couldn't you couldn't just, you know, cast about and play you know 
pool, go to stay in a pool hall all day, and also have a nice roomy apartment to come back to at the end right. of the evening. You know, you right. would probably, you know, you gotta, you gotta work some jobs, probably a couple of jobs, to uh, support yourself while you're also trying to write that, hopefully that that first novel that that gets you there, that gets you that revenue stream. You know, right. mm-hmm. so yeah, uh, he doesn't have those same kind of struggles and. Yeah, I think that's another reason yeah. why he's he's not disciplined because there's nothing right. that's requiring him to maintain any yeah. kind of structure in his life right. right now. Exactly, and it's so great to see that Nog has experienced the opposite, where he before was the one uh, kind of dissipated and and didn't have discipline in his life. Oh, turns around and he's the one who's after a year of it has really absorbed it. Like he walks into Cisco's office and he's not, hey, how you doing, Com- you know, Captain? He's you know, cadet reporting for duty, sir. You know, yes, sir. Yes, sir. He's he's on point. He's a new man, and it's it's actually great. You like you're like really proud of Nog. Like he's actually really taken to uh, to Federation life, even though Quark has given him a hard time. Um, you know, his dad has also joined the Federation in a sense as a technician, and the two of them are actually you know really really doing well. They're blossoming in their new roles. So Great. let's stop. Let's stop and talk about this because I, I do. I think we mentioned this once before in a couple of episodes. But uh, now that Nog is here and we get to see it in full force, I really do want to talk about the fact that we see these two, um, well, aliens who are in who were in their own culture. They were they were struggling. They didn't have a place. They all they could really hope for was some kind of menial handout, eking out an existence under their. Uh, brother and uncle respectively of course and now under this new system under a new cultural uh perspective they're thriving you know um not only has rom found a place but he's been promoted he's making friends he's making connections he is uh he's a great technician and he's enjoying himself that's the other part of it too he's enjoying himself he's enjoying his life for the first time and probably ever you know, right. and then you know, Nog, who was so fearful of ending up like his father, you know, when he gave that speech to Cisco, which was the ultimately the speech that convinced Cisco to write the recommendation letter. You know, he was so uh-huh. fearful of ending up like his father, only stuck, right. you know, waiting tables and looking after the bar and cleaning up and stuff yeah. like that. And now here he is. He's a he's a cadet. He's changed his ways. He's working out. He's disciplined. He's mm-hmm. He he's just he's totally thriving, yeah. You know, in this yeah. in this element, um, I, I think it's a great thing that that Trek shows on how just anybody from any background, it, you know, can come into this society here, and uh-huh. with with just even the tiniest bit of opportunity, they can work hard and they can achieve a greater status than they had before. Like, I don't think I've seen that anywhere else in any other kind of fiction, let alone science fiction. Um, right. And that's just wonderful to see. I love watching these two characters for that reason. Even though Rom annoys the hell out of me, I, I do <laughs> love this for him. Right. Yeah. 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 He uh, He's changed a lot. As Cisco points out, when Jake is, when we find out that Jake is moving in with Nog, you know, Jake, uh, Cisco tells him, you know, Five years ago, I didn't even want you to hang out with Nog. Didn't want you to spend any time with Nog, and here you are moving in. Um, so yeah, I I love uh, Cisco here with his parenting style. You know, he's 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 kind of being a hovering parent there for a bit. I mean, he, he loves his son. So I'm not saying it's a it's a Is bad he... thing in the sense that yeah. he loves his son. 
I just, I, one thing, so I'll just tell you about myself. When I was, you know, living at home after high school, you know, there, you know, my parents were very clear, like, okay, when you graduate high school, you can like go off to college. If like, if you need to come back briefly, fine. But like, you're not moving back in. <laughs> if you ever need to come back home, it's only a brief little stop on the way to something else. And, uh, when, Cisco is like, do you have to move out? Yeah, you can move back in with me. I'll like to see you briefly. I part of me is like, oh no, but Jake really needs that. Really, I, he needs to leave the nest. There's that that need to move on in life, and uh, there's it's really great for him to be doing this. Even if he has a bumpy road, that's fine. It's okay to ha hit some bumps. Uh, getting out there and, and and starting his own life is important. And um, so I'm glad that Cisco like is clear. You know, I love you. I don't want to. I don't want you to just go away. I want to be in your life. Um, if you need to be back, be back. But part of me is like, okay, Cisco, don't don't hold on, hold on too tight. You know, let him, yeah. let him fly away. Um, now's his chance. But um, yeah, moving to the other side of the habitat wing. I mean, okay, Jake. Like, <laughs> as far I'll see you once a week for right. dinner. Because the station, wow. the station is that's the other thing. The station is huge. I mean, that yeah. is that is uh, moving on the other side, moving on the other side of town. You know, um, you, it, that's a lot. Right. And um, you know, I, I wouldn't necessarily say that he that that Ben was trying to hold on to him a bit, but I think he was just kind of kind of expressing that you know kind of the bittersweetness of the moment. Like he recognizes right. that his son is growing up. He's his own man. Right. He needs his chance to you know forge his his own path but at the same time that's right. his son and we got to also remember what they've been through you know the, the loss right. of jennifer him having to fa find a way to be not just uh, a father but you know also this leader of people while raising his son as well um right. i i can imagine there being a lot of separation anxiety there for him not so much jake because he's done such a great job of kind of taking care of jake and maybe you know maybe not such a great job because he's, he's shielded him a lot maybe from right. some things. Um, right. But yeah, there's probably some of that that's, that's all mixed in there as well. But I still think overall he handles it well. He still lets his son go. He reminds him, yeah, you can come back if you want to, but he's, there's no pressure. That is right. one thing about Cisco that I have always appreciated in his parenting style. He does right. not pressure Jake really to do anything. He guides him and he offers him advice and he does kind of put his foot down on certain things like doing his studies when they were living together, for example, and Jake didn't want to do the study of Klingon opera and, and, uh, and challenging him on his school projects. Like instead of just writing a report, taking them to that planet where they could do a whole geographical survey and everything like that. He does those things in such a, a, a caring manner without overriding his son and without right. making it a, you know, my way or no way. Yes. Um, which we often see a lot when we see the father, in particular, the father-son dynamic. And um, also, you know, as a as someone who's obviously watched a lot of television, um, you know, when you see uh, black families in particular, the father-son dynamic was often this, this kind of hostile challenge. And the father ruling over the sons with this very dominant uh, and kind of aggressive nature. And there were just very few fathers that you saw um, in that dynamic that didn't do that, you know? Right. And so to have one in a sci-fi show, such a forward leaning, such a very progressive show, and not only showing that he wasn't being dominant, but that he was being very nurturing 
and supportive um, really, you know, struck a chord with me and I think with a lot of other people as well. And even growing up, I remember that. And now as a father myself, I hope that I am doing the same thing with my child. I don't want to feel like I am, um, you know, overruling her or, um, you know, dominating the landscape and doing other kinds of stuff. Now, granted, my my child is still very, very young, um, but I'm hoping that as we move forward and as she ages up and through things, that I can maintain that. And it's not not a, you must do this because I'm your father and I said so, but yeah, very nurturing, guiding, supporting stance and right. letting her find her own path. And I feel right. like, yeah, I can def- definitely say I got that from from Star Trek, from from watching this, mm. you know? Yeah, okay, yeah. Yeah, Cisco has always been a great parent. And I, I really like you pointing out, that, yeah, because Starfleet is presented as a, and it's of, a, of a sort, a utopian society where you don't have to, you know, things can be produced very easily. You know, food is just go to a replicator. I mean, again, Sis, Jake Sisko's biggest problem is putting stuff back in the replicator yeah. <laughs> as opposed to getting stuff out of it. Um, so, yeah, that that is a – I really am fascinated by the idea of what that would do to society because I, I, I am concerned by the idea of like, yeah, if, if everyone could just get what they wanted or needed by just going up to a machine, what would that do to people? I mean there has to yeah. – I mean like the Federation almost has to exist in the sense of like – there's no challenge in the traditional sense of feeding yourself, housing yourself. All of that is so easily done. Now the challenge is actually going out and confronting challenges, like almost seeking them out. Or at the very least, yeah. in, in this in this world, this, this universe, there are threats out there. The Borg being a perfect example, but we'll see in First Contact, where – some people are happy to live maybe simple lives, and that's fine. The society can handle those people living simple lives. But the people who have that drive within them to go out and do risky things, again, they're not risking making a, a making food. They might risk making food in the sense that they might go colonize a planet, but it's not the same thing anymore. It, it really has changed society. And the Federation is the perfect place for that person who still has a drive to do something to take on risks and, and overcome things. So, yeah. yeah, it's one of the, it's one of the aspects of Trek that has not really been uh, covered or explained in detail. And I really feel like this is something that we talked about as well a while back when we talked, we talked about world building and how the more specific that you make things, the more you run into trouble with certain things, because you're, you're having to put a definite point on, mm-hmm. on certain things. And you just, you can't, you can't do that because it does give away, um, it, it kind of ruins your world building to a certain uh, certain degree. But like the one thing that we can get out of the Federation and, and Starfleet is that once you know all needs were met for humanity, um, it became uh, less about attaining wealth and more about pushing yourself to the limits of your your abilities and finding ways to have fulfillment and enrichment in your life. And there are people who just continue to live lives where all they do is, you know, maybe work a farm or uh, they're city managers and council leaders in a, in a very local, very regional government or whatever. And there's other people right. who wanted to pack up and they would hop on, you know, the nearest, you know, uh, ship to go to another planet to start the colonization process. And, you know, and they were, and they, you know, they would find, basically finding use for these people because there were those who 
could be put to work early on in the terraforming process. And there's, there are people who came later who needed to be there to plan, you know, cities and do development and contract work and school teachers and, you know, all those kind of stuff like that. So um, it was basically making it to where everyone had a skill Mm-hmm. And depending on where we were falling in development of any number of planets and Earth included, there was always something that somebody could be doing. And because yes. they were contributing in this manner, we also had a way of providing for them, providing um, homes, food, clothes and training and, and whatever else. Um, do we get into the elimination of status and the elimination of how do we eliminate poverty and do we also eliminate billionaires and all that stuff? They, they don't talk about it, but it basically is like right. at some point, the accumulation of wealth for humans becomes a non-starter. It's, it's not important right. anymore. Um, how that happens when that happens, we don't know. It's kind of alluded to that it happens after the third world war because of the decimation of, of everyone that, uh, uh, yeah, there's just a, a need for everyone to have a skill because there's just not enough people left. Because if I remember correctly, they say that after the after World War Three, it's like something like nine or ten hundred million people dead. Something like, it's a crazy number that's thrown out, but it's essentially like wow. yeah, it's it's basically like. After World War Three, the Earth population, the human population, is cut down to just north of half. So, kind of like a right. Thanos snap there for humanity. Uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, and so now you have an overabundance of resources because there's just not that many people around to do anything. Okay. So I think that's right. what help, helps to even things out. Now, do I want to? Do I think that we need to have a culling basically in order to get there? No. Um, I don't want there to be a World War Three. Trust me, but uh, yeah, I think that's kind of how Starfleet comes into being: is everybody realizing, <laughs> hey, this is all—we're all we've got. If we don't do something soon, then our whole race is going to die off, and we don't want to go the way that we did before because what we did before is what got us here in the first place. So we have to have a true paradigm shift, and right. this is the result of it. Right. Yeah. Makes sense. So, um, who would you say is the would, would be our standout performance in this episode? I mean, Renee and Armin Shimmerman as Odo and Quark. They 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 are. I mean, let me put it this way. Armin Shimmerman has been playing Ferengi since the TNG show. Yeah, like, yeah, he's, he's been he a Ferengi forever. Ferengi. I was I watched a clip like it was just on my YouTube feed. It was one of the episodes where the TNG crew is up against a uh, they it's still it's called the last episode. outpost and it's where they're up against the Ferengi and they get trapped in orbit of that planet that was a part of the Takan Empire before it fell and the guardian of the outpost has frozen both the Enterprise and the Ferengi ship and Armin Shimmerman no, is one no. of the Ferengi on that ship. Well, that is one where he's. No, I'm talking about the one where like the Ferengi have an old Federation ship in there, like they're dragging it along or something. Oh, that's um, called the battle, I believe, and that was where the old Stargazer comes back. Right. And Damon Bach has put that thing on there to manipulate Picard. Yeah, I forget exactly what all the details were because it was just a clip, but it was the, the clip of you know Cisco or uh, 
Picard blows up the Federation ship that they're threatening the the the, the, Feder- the Ferengi. Oh wait, that's somehow. a different episode. I know there's several Ferengi episodes, so yeah, you jumped into the old Outpost one as if that was what I was talking Cause, about. Because well, because no, you were talking about Ar- Armin Shimmerman as a Ferengi, well, and that was the first one. That was the first one. My point is, is that he plays the captain of the ship that they're up against in that episode. You can tell it's oh, him if you know it's um, Shimmerman. Yeah, what's that episode the, called? Well, that's the one where they were doing. Well, that's the one where they were doing the war games, right? And uh, Riker is put maybe. in charge of the old. The old ship is called the Hathaway. And well, the only point is, is that they blow up the ship at the end. There's something about they're holding the ship hostage, but everyone's off of it. I don't know. Again, it was only the clip of that episode, like a 60-second okay. clip. But it, my whole point is, is that Armin Shimmerman is Ferengi. He, whatever the Ferengi are as a culture, as a species, he has been there at the center the whole time. And yeah. he he just kills it as as Quark. Um, and then, yeah, Rene Albert-Genois is Odo. And so I feel like... I can't say that any one character stands out or any one actor stands out because I feel like everyone is their character to this point that I don't feel like anyone was – every performance was exactly what you'd expect. My only flaw this episode, now that I'll, I'll get to, is that I do feel like um, the Quark Odo problem of we need to get to the top of this mountain and the way it's, it's handled is just – I mean – Odo breaks his leg. Quark is, it's been three days since they've eaten anything, he says. You know, like, the fact that they have to climb to the top of this mountain and they don't have food, and they have to drag one of them along, they have to drag around a machine, and then, you know, it's it's off screen that Quark gets to the top, turns the yeah, thing on, we don't, and then the we don't know is that like he gets there. to that. Yeah, we don't know that he gets absolutely to that top peak. He just needed right. to get high enough in altitude to be able to send off a signal. So we don't Fair know enough. that he made it all the way to the top. We Fair know enough. he made my it only, higher up than Odo. My only point is that the conflict that they are having to deal with of we need to travel across a landscape that's treacherous and we don't have food. Um, one of us has to be carried along by the other. Meanwhile, I have to carry this machine. And at the very last minute, the Defiant shows up and saves the day. Like, I literally was looking at the time. Like, I, I moved my mouse on my screen. I was like, how much time is left in this episode? Because it feels like we haven't reached a conclusion yet. Is this going to mm-hmm. be a two-parter? And I was like, oh, man, it looks like it's going to be a two-parter. And then like, that's exactly when Odo is finishing up his recording where he's like, oh, you know, take my body and put it in ashes and put it in my bucket, shoot it through the wormhole and desiccate Cork's body if you find him because that's how he would want to go out. Like, he's giving his final rights, basically, his, his final will and testament. And then Shimmer, he's saved, and there's Bashir, and That's it's, classic it's Trek fashion. That's classic Trek fashion of, yeah. of finishing so I, in, the, in the last few minutes. No, yeah, no, <laughs> we don't get to yeah. see the, the full resolution, but yeah, yeah. Yeah, so it, it's a deuce ex Duke's ex machina? Deus ex machina. Sorry, Deus ex what am I saying? Deus Ex Machina, where um, yeah, the, uh, the 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 Defiant just shows up and saves the day, and like real quick, real easy. It felt a little too quick, frankly. Um, but you know what? We got a Cork and Hodo episode, so okay, fine. Um, but while I'm thinking about it, I don't remember seeing Dax in this episode. We saw yeah, we do. briefly. We see where Dax. Was Dax? She's on the Defiant. She's on the Defiant. When they beam Odo up, and he's and he materializes in the in the transporter pad, she's right there, <laughs> standing next to Worf. She's the one who tells 
Odo that they found Quark. And if it wasn't for Quark getting the signal off, they never oh, would have found him. She's the one that who says it. it. So we see we see everybody right. except right. for No, we see everybody oh, in this episode. Yeah, we saw O'Brien too. He briefly was talking briefly. to Nog about yes. um, your you know, good job, cadet kind of stuff. Um, yeah. So we get to see yeah. everybody very briefly, but everybody is in and, the episode. And Kira, we saw her briefly. She still has her pregnant baby, a belly looking going yeah. on. I mean, she hasn't given birth yet, but her hair wasn't nearly as done up as it normally is. It's normally redder and more like, I don't know. Like I saw her when she goes on screen for her brief scene. I was like, man, she like came in real quick and did her scene and went back to, <laughs> went back home or something. Hey. It's fine if she was pregnant in real life and was like not able to be there for everything. Fine, it was just it was a little noticeable. It was like I see. You well, because I I think <laughs> that this is also the time when they were kind of filming episodes back to back. Like like yeah, they they talk a lot about on these shows when they're doing these twenty six episodes. You know, they'd be filming for like you know eighteen hours a day. And so a lot of that was, you know, they were filming multiple scenes for multiple episodes in in the week, in the same week. So by the end of the week, you know, they would have all of this stuff that they needed to get out. Right. And um, so, yeah, I'm sure that they filmed a lot, especially since she was, you know, coming, returning from pregnancy and delivering the baby. I'm sure they uh-huh. filmed a lot of her scenes like back to back just to give her that time. But then they were uh-huh. just like it's short because she probably just couldn't really be up for very long. And then it was like, yeah, we're, we're going to come back to you. You're going to have a lot to do soon. So we'll give you this ample time to rest before you return. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. It definitely is how it feels. I'm not saying it's wrong. I'm not saying it's bad. It's just, no. it was one of those things where I, I noticed, Oh, she doesn't look like she's quite as done up as she normally would be for the character. Yeah. Yeah, I understand. <laughs> totally understand. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so, well, yeah. I think that we have pretty much covered everything for this episode. So, um, before we end, I just want to, or we want to go ahead and announce that we are going to do a nice contest for uh, coming into 2024. So, our contest is going to be um, the Star Trek uh, medallion that I had um, sent out, sent out a little blurb about on uh, our Facebook page. Of course, you can uh, go and check that out, which gives you like a picture of the medallion, or you can go to StarTrekWines.com, click on the accessories button, and if you scroll down, you will see where it says United Federation of Planets Metal Medallion. It is a rounded piece of metal with the Federation emblem on it that um, you can affix to any container, any rounded container that you want, be it coffee mug, um, you know, glass, you know, tumbler, whatever it is that you want to um, put it on, you you can't. Okay, it has everything that you need to affix it to the uh, glass, and we decided that we want to do a nice little, you know, nice little giveaway. So there's a way that you will be able to win this, and it will be in the next two episodes of the show. What you'll have to do. So on the on December 23rd and on December 30th, respectively, during our live shows, at an appointed time, we will announce a keyword or key phrase. We'll tell you which one that it is. Um, you will need to tell us both phrases for both episodes. 
Each person who does this will be entered into the drawing. We will then, at an appointed time, draw your name, and uh, we will notify you, uh, and we will send you the medallion. You don't have to, you don't have to pay for anything. Just notify us that you won and where you want it shipped, and we'll ship it. Okay? Boom. It's, that's it. Cut and dry. Real easy. But what you will have to do is, again, give us the key phrase from the 23rd episode uh, or the episode on December 23rd and from the episode on December 30th. You can't do one or the other. We must have both. So you and, and the only way to get those is when it's during our live broadcast on those days. Okay. So again, I'll, I'll make the announcements. We'll remind you. We'll do all that stuff so that all you have to do is tune in. But after that, I can't help you. Okay, you, if you can't if you can't do that, then well, you just don't deserve to win. So be sure to tune in on December twenty third and December thirtieth to get the key phrases so that you can enter the contest and win the medallion. Um, again, that's on StarTrekLines.com. You can go and check those out. There's also a lot of other things on there. So if you see some other stuff that you want, um, you're more than obviously free to order whatever you want um, from their site. I'm sure they would love for you to do so. Plus, check out their wines and spirits. They've got a large selection of things. It's probably too late for you to order anything now if you wanted to get it in time for Christmas because a lot of their stuff uh, ships from um, um, from like uh, Europe for some of the wines, for example. So you might not be able to get those things in time. But hey, try it out. You might find something that you like. If you do get any of the wines or spirits from there, do me a favor. Um, tell me how they taste uh, when you do get them. Let me know how they taste because I, I would like to work my way through and try everything, but that may just be impossible. Um, the bottles are beautiful. I, I was telling David earlier, if for no other reason than to have these very ornate bottles, I would order a lot of these things. Um, so yeah, go ahead and check that site out. See the other things they have there. And again, listen to us on the 23rd and the 30th and the contest and you can win your own very free, very metal uh, Federation medallion. Okay. Um, but yeah, that will be it for us for this episode. Unless David, do you have anything else that you would like to add or contribute or say? No, I'll just say that Vincent is, uh, is been participating in the live show today. So I imagine he has a little leg up. So everyone, if you want to win, True. know you have competition out there. Thank you, Vincent for listening. He does mention in his last little, uh, um, uh, message he sent out uh talking about the final scene about uh quark and odo talking they uh you didn't recap you mentioned it we didn't really talk about it but the two of them laying there on their beds and uh quark says to odo uh you know i want you to know everything i said about why i hate you i meant every word and odo says so did i and then they both start laughing so yeah love hate relationship for sure um, great episode between the two of them, just uh, uh, you know, to get some you know, more interaction between the two of them in a, in a situation that's outside our normal Deep Space Nine, just back and forth. Are you guilty or not of this or that? Um, so yeah, good to see that that happened. And they, I just want to say, I mean, the two of them, they went out there into the wilderness on that mountain, and Armin Shimmerman was pulling... Rene Auberginois up that mountain at a certain point, like he committed, like full on committed. So, like, yeah, great. <laughs> I'm glad the two of them have worked together and have a great relationship because they committed in this one to making sure that yeah. it worked. And, yeah, absolutely. Fun, so. I, 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 Odo is obviously a favorite character. Um, uh, Quark has grown on me. I, he, I'm not gonna ever say anything negative about. 
quirk to like it would be like I hate him or anything like that. But um, yeah, with, again, once again, pairing Odo up with almost anyone seems to be a success because I mean he's just a Renee does such a great job. So yeah, I really enjoy watching those. Um, but yeah. Um, think that's going to be it for us so as always uh, you can find us and follow us anywhere that you happen to do your social medias of course you know facebook is probably the one that gets the updates the fastest for some reason twitter is or x is still not releasing things i don't know why i schedule the stuff but it doesn't it doesn't come out so i don't know maybe i just have to like delete that account i don't want to because there was just so much stuff that we've done from previous shows um, oh, that was yeah. up there but um I, so, I, so i don't want to but if that's what it has to happen in order to start over i'll start over i don't care um but yeah facebook has everything else um and you can leave us messages comments whatever on facebook we'll get to you from there as quickly as we can of course you can also listen to us anywhere you happen to listen to podcasts. I happen to do it on uh, Spotify. So, guys, until next week on the 23rd for our live broadcast, take care of yourselves. Thanks, guys.